0: You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Billahi Minash rahmanir rahim In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show at The Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to uh, Mubarak Amini and I have here today with me um daniel ahmed my co-host and today we'll go through three wonderful segments um so do stay with us the first segment is international day commemorating the victims of acts of violence based on religion or belief segment two which will start around uh eight, eight o'clock uh, is ocean heat reaches hottest temperature ever recorded and then the third segment will be World Humanitarian Day. So dear listeners, um, do stay with us, uh, do join us, do interact with us. Uh, you can call in at zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, 7878 or you can tweet us um, with our uh, Twitter handle at voiceofislamuk. Daniel, uh, good morning and assalamu alaikum
1: um How are you doing this this
0: this this uh pretty a bit co- cold morning today right
1: Um myself I'm not feeling any cold uh, but um uh, yeah it's uh, outside it's it's kind of um not sunny uh there are some patches of uh, cloud here and there So um, yeah how are you doing
0: yourself Yeah yeah I'm I'm by you know, by, by the grace of Allah the Almighty, I'm, I'm 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 good mm-hmm. If you can, um, for the listeners, give a quick uh, <coughs> update on the weather. Yeah, sure.
1: S- so regarding um, um, today's weather, central and northern areas of the UK will see a mix of sunny spells, um, variable cloud, and scattered showers. But western Scotland will be largely cloudy. Uh, the far south will be dry with sunshine. And tonight, this evening, cloud will become more broken and showers will ease. Tonight, it will stay dry with clear spells for most, but Wales, West Scotland and Central England will see patchy rain arrive later. Tomorrow, on Wednesday, uh, much of the UK will see extensive cloud Um, particularly central areas, northern Ireland and northern England may have some patchy rain. Isolated showers in Scotland, a sunny day in the south. And um, for Thursday to Saturday, on Thursday, the east and southeast looks set to have scattered heavy showers. Also, showers are expected expected in northern Scotland. Uh, drier with uh, variable cloud elsewhere Friday will become cooler with sunny spells but also a few showers in the north and the west Saturday looks to be largely largely dry and settled but West Scotland may be cloudy with patchy light rains so it seems like um, like here and there in some parts of the UK um as um, it's um the typical weather of the UK uh, it will uh, rain <laughs> uh, you know in, in some days um i have never seen that um um there might be a, um, not a day when you know in a week when uh,
0: i haven't seen uh, rain in, <laughs> in, the, in the UK in the UK yeah it happens it happens um Obviously.
1: Yeah. So, uh, now I think we should move on to the headlines of the week. So, um, uh, going through the papers from the BBC. Um,
0: oh, yeah, this news. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah sure. Why not? <laughs> um, calculating, cunning, cruel, cowardly headlines. The Metro. yeah the metro as it carries some of the words used to describe serial killer nurse lucy latby at her sentence hearing where she was handed uh, down a whole life order <clears throat> meaning she will spend the rest of her life in prison one mother who lost one baby to latby and whose other baby and uh, the neonatal nurse attempted to murder described her as a coward for failing to attend the sentencing hearing. Elsewhere, the paper covers Manchester United parting ways with footballer Mason Greenwood after a backlash forces him out. He was previously charged with attempted rape and assault but the
0: charges were later dropped. The mugshot (coughs) of let (coughs) me... Features on the Daily Express front cover too. The paper focuses on the most prolific child serial killer in modern British history parting with one final act of wickedness by not attending her hearing. The Express says she refused to attend court and face her victims' distraught parents. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, the I similarly reports on demands or for government to force um, convicts to, um, to attend their sentencing hearing and listen to devastation of victims. Ministers, it says, are under pressure to order a full um, statutory inquiry which can compel witnesses to attend or rather than progress
0: with the announced non statutory inquiry. The Guardian features <coughs> a smiling picture of Let Be at Countess of, of Chester Hospital. He observes she has become one one of only a handful of women to be handed a whole life jail term following her conviction for murdering seven babies and trying to kill another six. Meanwhile, England goalkeeper Mary Epps features on the front The paper reports fans are using DIY methods to have the name of the Golden Glove Award winner on their shirts after Nike decided not to produce a replica England goalkeeper shirt. Mm
1: -hmm. One final act of wickedness, quote-unquote, headlines the Daily Mirror as it focuses on the fury at her refusal to appear for sentencing elsewhere. Heroes return as the lioness fly home from their women's World Cup final,
0: which they lost to Spain. The Daily Mail describes a pitiless stare as it splashes on a mugshot of Letby. It leads on the words of grieving child D's mother, who said in a victim impact statement, Those lives were not yours to take. There is no forgiving, not now, not ever. Mm-hmm. The sun also splashes on Letby's custody
1: short as it two headlines on her final act of wickedness. It quotes Mr Justice goes um, Mr Justice goes saying there was a malevolence bordering on sadism
0: in be's sections. The Times uses another picture of Letby, this time smiling with a drink in hand. According to the paper, Justice Secretary Alex Chalk says the government wants to change the law at the earliest opportunity to force the worst offenders to attend court to face justice.
1: Mm. A smiling let-be with baby in hand features on the front of the Daily Telegraph. The paper describes the victim impact statements by the parents as nothing short of heartbreaking. The Daily Telegraph also runs a story on Sir Keir Starmer claiming that he could not afford to go to university if he was 18 now. It observes his comments suggest the party could soon announce policies to help students with
0: rising rents if Labour wins the general election. The Financial Times leads with bosses of top companies being given a 16% pay rise on average last year, catapulting their their earnings to 118 times that of the median UK worker. Mm-hmm. The paper reports FTSE 100 bosses were paid a median £3.91 million each, a £530,000 rise on the previous year according to the High Pay Centre think tank.
1: Mm-hmm. and lastly there's a big row
0: brewing uh,
1: says the daily, Ta- daily star at it reports britons see the traditional cup of tea as being seen as outdated and most prefer coffee and uh, by the way the mobiles what do you prefer
0: uh, tea or coffee Oh, I love both. I'm 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 a fan of tea mainly, uh-huh. but I need uh, <laughs> I need my my coffee as well at the same time. What about you? I think you're 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 more into tea, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Um, and
1: uh, I think that's the end of the headlines. Um, and most of the headlines were filled with um, uh, obviously that piece. b m unfortunately, it's very here. sad what
0: she did, and it's, yeah, you know, I mean. We know that Islam teaches that you know saving one life is like saving the whole of humanity, Certainly. and and taking one life is like taking the all of humanity. And
1: um, mm, um, mm, uh, most commonly, we need to talk about such um, things because we need to um, aware people such kind of um, mm. act and uh, discourage them.
0: Uh, I mean, the parents left that you know left their children in the hospitals. You know. Where whichever child's you know whatever happened you know we've we end up losing faith in humanity then in 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 the people that are supposed to be looking after us yeah um so at the same time we should pray for the betterment of of the country of the people um that you know may may uh, God the Almighty guide us and keep us away from from such kind of um you know acts which can which which hurt and and cause others distress at the same time, certainly I mean um continuing with uh, any of the any of the um news articles um that you is there anything that that you're interested in is there anything you you want to mention um,
1: today there's uh, there's one article um as you all know that this is the era of uh, social media yeah. platforms and uh, you know um uh, by the way before in you know getting into the topic um, just like to ask you a question to you What's your favorite uh, social media platform? (laughs) (laughs) What do you use the most? Um,
0: I mean, I use Twitter. Um, Mm. And I also use uh, uh, Instagram. Um, They're they're the main two, that's it. Mm -hmm. Other than that. By the way,
1: YouTube comes um, or falls in this category. Do you use YouTube or no? Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. YouTube as well. Oh, yeah.
1: So, now... What about you? For, uh for you before you about I use? used to use Twitter a lot but uh, you know it kinds of, um, it depends um but right now I'm using more uh, YouTube? YouTube and uh, Insta yeah. mm. So this article regarding um TikTok uh, fake news and infodemic era, and um, going to talk about the pros and cons of the social media platform uh, in this article and um Mm, By the way, right now, uh, TikTok is the most famous uh, platform Mm -hmm. uh, among other social media platforms. Mm -hmm. So TikTok has now become the single most popular source of news for teenagers in the UK as uncovered by an Ofcom research. Traditional news platforms uh, find themselves in the rear view mirror as a rising number of teens now rely on TikTok for their daily news fix. The media regulator found that a significant 28% of 12 to 15 years old utilize the app to stay updated on current affairs, surpassing all other platforms. YouTube and Instagram closely follow with 25% usage each. So um, is this a cause for concern that um, TikTok, which... um, has often been seen as as a platform for lighter topics. Um, is now a go-to for the latest headlines. Uh, Nick Newman, a senior research associate at the um, at uh, the Reuters uh, Institute of, for the Study of Journalism, continued to observe that until recently. The network has had a reputation built almost extensively on fast-moving funny or musical memes, but stories such as Black Lives Matter, the COVID-19 pandemic, and the war in Ukraine have helped make news a much bigger part of the mix. The findings of this research um, set off alarm bells uh, for many due to the app's reliability being under consistent uh, scrutiny. Um, Qualitative studies of younger consumers show that many worry about the potential for misinformation on the app. And now with the rise of deep fake, it is becoming increasingly difficult to differentiate um, fact from fiction. A piece in the New, uh, New York Times has stated that misleading edits, uh, fake news stories, and deep fake images of politicians are starting to wrap um, reality on the popular video platform. This came after a screenshot of non-existent CNN story about climate change was circulated. One video was edited to imply White House Press Secretary um, karen jean ignored a question from a fox news reporter and even deep fakes of the president uh, biden singing baby shark instead of the national anthem a very absurd you know uh deep fake <clears throat> um then um one uh, a reporter tiffany uh on the on the technology team for the new york times Hits the nail on the head um, that the danger of manipulated media lies in the way it risks uh, it risks uh, further damaging the ability of many social media users to depend on concepts like truth and proof. Extended exposure to manipulated uh, media can intensify um, polarization and whittle down viewers' ability and willingness to distinguish truth from fiction so a very long and lengthy article um, but in the in nature um, as i think many of us has experienced this that there are some news which we think um very much real but they are kind of uh, they have no connection Mm. Um, to the any um, in, in reality mm. so um, I think uh, and um, uh, the teenagers especially they are very vulnerable to such kind of news because they can you know kind of uh, get into such those fake news yeah. and uh, try to you know it, it will manipulate such individuals. Exactly,
0: because they're very vulnerable, aren't they? So yeah. and they, they, they whatever they hear, they, they might find the, the visuals that they're looking at on the screen and, yeah. and think that, oh, yeah, this is real, this is how it is, whatever news yeah. it is. It could be any sort of fake news, or whatever that yeah, is being certainly. shared. So it's important that we kind of monitor um, our children, our youth, as well as to what they're watching Yeah. and maybe uh, crack down on their screen time a bit as well.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, been... Some months now, I have read an article that many youths, uh, they try to, you know, uh, harm themselves after watching certain, mm. um, you know, reels on Instagram or certain TikToks. I uh, oh. don't know why, but uh, they kind of tend to um, harm themselves, you know, with that. Not only, you know, um, affect them, but also the whole family system. Mm. So, yeah, we need to keep an eye on our youth. Although, try to give uh, that freedom to your youth or your children to an extent, but also they are vulnerable. So you need to uh, give, I think, in my opinion, and which is, uh, I think, um, very practical, that if you keep an eye to an extent or tell them this is your time limit, then... um, I believe that they will nourish in a very um, proper manner
0: and at the same time send them out to play as well yeah (laughs) because kids nowadays are not getting out
1: (laughs) because yeah physical um, you I I have seen many people many youths they in even their uh, even they are 18 or 19 they kind of feel like uh, we are having pain here and there and uh, Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be like this in in those
0: Uh, in that age. Indeed. Um, Daniel, in in other news, a 10-minute MRI scan could be used to screen men for prostate cancer, according to a new study. The scans proved far more accurate at, at diagnosing cancer than blood tests, which look for high levels of a protein called PSA. MRI picked up some serious cancers that would have been missed by PSA alone. At present, there is no national screening program because PSA is considered too unreliable, although men over 50 can request a PSA test. I think, um, do you have anything else you want to share?
1: Um. No, nah, th- there could be many, but you know, as uh, we are kind of running out of time for this segment. Yeah. And uh, So
0: uh, I think it's time for a short break. Um, after which we will um, head towards the first segment which a is a very exciting segment yeah I indeed say,
1: um, kind of you can say but you know uh, very sad also because it's, it's very interesting we need to yeah. we
0: need to it's something we're going to talk about we're going to discuss with our with our guests certainly and, yeah. uh, if any of the viewers obviously would like to call in we will provide the number again and they can call in and speak to us so do join us uh, after the short break and then um we will discuss the the segment which is International Day, uh, commemorating the victims of acts of violence based on religion or belief. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, wa rahmatullahi wa May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Dear listeners, welcome back to the Breakfast Show. Um we are heading towards the first segment, which is International Day, commemorating the victims of acts of violence based on religion or belief. Every day countless acts of uh, senseless uh, violence and attacks uh, occur on, on uh, based on religion or belief against individuals including religious minorities. The General Assembly designated uh, August 22nd as the International Day commemorating the victims of acts of violence based on religion or belief, recognizing the importance of providing victims of religious-based violence and members of their families with support and assistance in accordance with law." So, Daniel, attacks on (coughs) on people based on religion or belief occur, unfortunately, worldwide every day um you know what what are some examples of of communities or religious minorities facing persecution in in the present day please for our listeners yeah, um um so
1: we can see that um uh, unfortunately it's a very unfortunate event we can say that in the past few uh, um years or you can say few decades hmm. Um, I would say that in the past few months as well that we have seen uh, a surge uh, in this Um, specifically in Pakistan where the MD Muslim community um, is unfortunately faced attacks and persecution based on their religious belief and um, in this uh, in this year um, uh, there are 14 attacks on the uh, on the mosque of MD Muslim community and they try to, you know, uh, try to set the the mosque on fire, try to mm-hmm. demolish the minarets, and and, uh, and many more vicious attacks, or heinous attacks. They are uh, so so very um, sad uh, thing which they are doing, and certainly it's our responsibility um, to condemn such um, such happenings. So uh they have been targeted in various countries including pakistan where they face legal restrictions and social hostility even um such that they are you know on paper they it is such that they can practice their religion mm-hmm. but in, um, in in reality um they are not allowed to you know even practice um or or not given us uh, basic human uh, human rights.
0: Not even allowed to say Assalamu Alaikum, which means no, the peace and blessings not of not at be upon all. you.
1: Yeah. So uh, it's really sad, and uh, what we can say um, apart from, um, I think this is the opportunity for each and every individual, regardless of um, whether he lives or whatever his color or creed, that we should. Um, raise our voices Uh, we should be vocal about such things we should be positive about such things and it can be done in a very modest um, manner Uh, um, it doesn't matter that uh, it doesn't mean that you have to be very kind of you know um very harsh you you need to use harsh words you can be very modest and still you can use your voice and be vocal about such things
0: and obviously, even and, and in Pakistan, there have been reports of attacks on on the Christian community based Certainly. on their religious belief as well. You know, so these t- attacks are are a clear violation of the of the right of freedom uh, of 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 religion and are deeply um, concerning. So right now we
1: have with us our first guest, uh, Professor John Wolf. Um, he's a professor of uh, relig- uh, religious history at the open university and has particular particular interests in understanding religious conflict and prejudice uh, his most recent book uh, sacred and secular martyrdom in britain and ireland since 1914 was published by bloomsbury academic in 2020 uh, professor john uh, welcome to the show good morning assalamu alaikum and peace and blessings of Allah be upon you
2: uh, good morning. Good to be with you.
1: So, Professor, uh, Professor, can you tell us what may drive individuals to commit um, acts of violence against uh, religious groups?
2: Well, I think the first general point I make is that uh, religious violence is uh, seldom just about religion. Mm. Uh, uh, but uh, it, it may often be about, sort of, for example, ethnic difference that people are being, I mean, they're of a different religion but also of a different ethnicity, and that uh, that's a factor. Uh, there may be uh, also political factors that, uh, for their own reasons, uh, politicians are being critical of a particular re- religious group, which uh, then legitimates uh, ill-intentioned people perpetrating violence against them. Uh, it may be just sort of simple neighbourly disputes. Uh, so uh, I think we always need to see religion in that wider cultural, social, political context. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously factors such as ignorance and misunderstanding of another religion. Uh, I think it's very common that people, uh, uh, again, from ignorance, will blame a whole group for the acts of, uh, of, of rogue individuals. I mean, whether or not uh, uh, somebody... Uh, Blaspheme uh, pages of the Quran in Pakistan the other week uh, clearly, other Christians were responsible. I mean, that's, uh, that's one example. Uh, envy of a group that seems uh, privileged and exclusive, and I think uh, uh, Jews have su- particularly suffered in that way. And, but also, you can have an ongoing history of violence and retaliation that uh, there's violence against one religious group, which leads to another religious group uh, retaliating. Mm-hmm. so uh, a whole, a whole a whole range of factors and i think it's uh, uh important but in any individual case we uh don't jump to simplistic conclusions
1: mm mm-hmm. uh, professor is um uh, another question which uh, you can uh, you can drive from this question, that it uh, it kind of very weird for me or you can say shocking for me that uh while living in this um uh, developed countries um We still see um, many such happenings uh, where we have to, uh, you know, um, where we see that uh, many uh, acts of violence against uh, religious minorities or groups uh, are still happening in the in these uh, developed countries. Um, While we see that there are many other things uh, which are happening on the name of freedom. Uh, but when it comes to religion, uh, we see that uh, there is uh, kind of some hindrance or uh, restrictions. So it kind of very, you know, uh, wait for me. Uh, what's your opinion on this? Uh,
2: sorry, I didn't quite catch. Uh, didn't quite catch your question.
1: So um, in in the developed countries, uh, we still f- see that um, many minorities um, or um, Religious groups they fa- they face uh, many hindrance uh, in terms of uh, practice their religion. Um, why is it uh, so that in while living in the developed countries uh, where we see that there's a there's a freedom of expression, but we still see uh, when it comes to um, practice uh, the religion, we still see some hindrance. Uh, yes, yeah,
2: so I, I think uh, I mean there's always a tension between uh what uh, what the law may say in many cases and uh what uh what people experience uh on the ground and uh, i mean clearly in the uh, uh in the uk for example i mean we have uh absolute freedom to practice religion uh, provi- uh provided it's not directly harmful to somebody else but mm. uh what uh, what the law can't stop is the sort of rogue uh, individual uh, or group uh, who are strongly prejudiced against a particular group, uh, and uh, I mean Muslims have obviously suffered uh, particularly from that uh, in the UK over the last few decades, that uh, but, that uh, but can uh, then impose uh, a sense of uh, of 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 local constraints on people so i think coming I mean, uh context as well as the uh the le- uh, legal uh, situation is uh is significant here
1: mm-hmm. and how does the commemoration of victims uh contribute uh, to raising awareness about about this issue and promoting uh change
2: uh, i think i have slightly mixed feelings about uh commemoration i think i mean it's Uh, important if uh, as on this particular day of commemorating victims of religious violence I mean it's done in a neutral way but respects Mm -hmm. uh, victims of all kinds of uh, of of religious violence what I worry about and I've uh, uh, as you mentioned I've written about martyrdom is when uh, commemorating uh, victims uh, can then be uh, turned uh, sometimes as a way of sort of legitimating violence against uh, those who uh, perpetrated the violence against those victims in the first place. So I think we have to be careful, but uh, while commemoration and recognition uh, is uh, is clearly important, uh, it uh, mm-hmm. it serves to sort of mitigate ongoing bitterness and, uh, and retaliation rather than add to it.
1: Mm-hmm. And has the nature of violence based on religion and beliefs changed over time? Uh,
2: I uh, I think there has been change, but uh, also perhaps not as much as uh, we may think there is. I mean, uh, I I do like to think that even if we have ongoing problems with religious violence in the contemporary world, we've moved on from some of the extreme actions we saw in the past with events such as the Crusades for some part of the massacre, the Holocaust, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, uh, it's still alarming how much uh, potential and actual violence there is. And I think one thing I've made, point I'd make about the past is, I mean, we think in the present social media uh, causes, uh, 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 rumours and so on to spread very quickly. Uh, it was striking how, in the past, sort of rumours could spread by word of mouth and lead to uh, extreme violence against particular groups very rapidly. So, uh, human beings have a uh, rather nasty tendency to, uh, to, uh, to pick up on uh, what may be totally inaccurate bad news and uh, then uh, to, uh, turn on particular victims, and that uh, applies in any period. So uh, my hope is, but we're making progress, but it's a uh, slow progress.
1: Yeah, we hope so. And uh, what challenges do do individuals and communities face in practicing their religious beliefs freely without um, fear of violence? Uh,
2: I think that uh, depends a lot on the context. I mean, as uh, we were saying just now, I mean, in the uh, in the UK, we have. Uh, 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 freedom of, of religion in, uh, in the law, uh, but in practice uh, nothing can uh, protect uh, any uh, a religious group from a rogue individual who has a particular uh, prejudice or violent inclination and could uh, uh, be attacking a mosque or indeed a church uh, mm-hmm. if, they, uh, if, if there's a particular uh, kind of personal motivation. So, I mean, there's that kind of ongoing challenge uh, even in a uh, a supposedly tolerant Western society. Uh, But then in the past, in other societies, there clearly are much uh, greater challenges uh, when we have uh, legal uh, discrimination, uh, limitation of religious freedom, which I think can uh, often legitimate violence by uh, rogue elements. And I think it was interesting in this country. I mean, in the uh, in the past, uh, Catholic churches, more recently mosques, uh, were initially uh, very inconspicuous because people were nervous about the uh, challenges of being seen to practice their faith visibly. That happily has now changed, uh, but it reflects the uh, ongoing changes and challenges that people face.
1: Mm, I hope so that it changes uh, with the passage of time Uh, with awareness and uh, educating people. And uh, lastly, Professor, how can education contribute to uh, reducing violence based on um, religion or belief?
2: Uh, Well, uh, uh, as I'm involved in education, you'd expect me to uh, do a plug for education, but I do very genuinely believe that education is absolutely crucial. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's about... uh, Promoting uh, understanding of the uh, real, uh, rather than sort of alleged, uh, teachings of uh, of religious traditions, so that uh, so that rumours uh, such as that all Muslims are uh, are, are terrorists uh, don't uh, uh, d- don't sort of uh, gather momentum. Uh, it's uh, but I think it's also about uh, giving people and um, and particularly young people. I think. Uh, be the, uh, uh, the skills to empathize with uh, other people's uh, experience and beliefs, even if they don't share them. Hmm. It's about sort of giving people uh, fra- uh, frameworks to think about uh, t- uh, constructively about religious tolerance and diversity. And an exciting project I've been involved in myself, we've called uh, Religious Toleration and Peace. Uh, it's about uh, Uh, giving uh, young people the stimulus and encouragement to make films, short films reflecting on their uh, own experience and ideas about uh, how how we live together in a uh, religiously diverse society, uh, drawing perhaps on uh, some lessons from history.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Professor, as we are talking about education, uh, do you think uh, the media or the news channels or other social media platforms are playing fair enough um, their roles in terms of um, educating people uh, to reduce violence based on religion or belief.
3: Uh,
2: I, I think uh, I think the uh, mainstream media, uh, uh, print and broadcast media, have uh, uh, has improved a lot, quite a lot in recent years with uh, 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 giving people. Uh, uh, quite, uh, quite reliable and insightful views on uh, on religion. I mean, I do worry about uh, mm. social media, given that it can uh, often uh, promote the uh, uh, the, the uh, rogue uh, views, as it were. And also, I mean, the very nature of social media that it uh, can lead to the uh, uh, the very very short, uh, simplistic message, mm. uh, which. Uh, uh, which, uh, which can uh, promote understanding rather than dissipate it. So, uh, and I do have concerns in that area,
1: mm-hmm. um... and
2: also also the concern that uh, that uh, people are uh, can sometimes uh, get distorted messages from uh, from the internet as well as from social media. Mm. Uh, although there can be also a lot of valuable and accurate material on yeah.
1: it. I think that's the point which we were you know, discussing in our first segment as well about TikToks, that sometimes yeah. uh, there are very fake news on TikToks as well. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Professor, for being on the show. It's a delight to have you on the show. Um, uh, thank you very much. Uh, Assalamu alaikum.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, good to talk to you.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, So that was uh, Professor John Wolfe, who is a professor of uh, uh, religious history at the Open University and has particular interests uh, in understanding religious conflict and prejudices. His most recent book, uh, Sacred and Secular Martyrdom in Britain and Ireland Since 1914, was published by Bloomsbury Academic in 2020. And um, as as you have seen that uh, as we were discussing in our first segment um, about regarding TikTok and uh, also we get to know the opinion of professor as well uh, in terms of educating through social media platforms. So his opinion was also that uh, sometimes uh, you get a message through social media platforms. Uh, which are kind of um, deteriorated and uh, very fake. And wish uh, so that's why we need to be very specific in terms of uh, choosing which is right and wrong.
0: Before we um, had our guest speaker, we were mentioning about the attacks on, on, on people based on religion hmm. or belief, you know, and how it occurs worldwide. And we were giving some examples uh, you were mentioning about Pakistan and um, if you could just for the listeners continue and, and, and tell us if there's any more uh, examples of, of, of what's going on around, around the world and if you can share some more insight.
1: Um, yeah, sure. And uh, as we have talked about the attacks of MDM uh, Muslim uh, mosques in Pakistan specifically and... Um, Moreover, we can see that uh, many other uh, minorities mm. or ethnic groups are being uh, persecuted in other parts of the world. Like um, uh, like um, there are some Muslims in China who have been persecuted. Uh, the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar have been subjected to mm. widespread or, uh, violence. Uh, as as we have seen in the last few years, uh, if we go back, uh, a few years back. And um, similarly, there are some Christian minorities in Nigeria who has faced attacks from extremist uh, groups. You know, if you see that, um, uh, just to remove the concern of the people who think that uh, religion is the... Uh, root cause of, of all these um persecution or attacks, so it's not the religion uh no what i believe and certainly um as well that uh, it's the religion who teaches us how to love uh, other human uh, beings Indeed. uh it's the extremist um uh, they doesn't have any any you know religion um, sometimes it's their political gains or some other gains, um, which leads to to such um, things. And um, uh, moving on from this point, uh, if we um, get into um, uh, the teachings of Islam, we see that uh, Allah the Almighty has said in the Holy Quran that whosoever kills a person. It is like killing the whole humanity. humanity. And um, whosoever uh, saves a single soul, it is like saving the whole humanity, all mm. human being. Such a beautiful uh, message, uh, which that, Allah teaches. That teaches us
0: even for our daily life that how you know Certainly. we were able to help people, right? Yeah. It's like you, you get such blessings. Islam teaches you so many so many things, uh, and it it kind of makes you realize that even the smallest act of of kindness can lead to such a good um, spiritual effect on on you yourself so we should look out for opportunities like whenever we can
1: certainly and Allah Almighty has also through this message has taught us that each and every individual is it's life, their life is sacred and uh, you should be you know um, grateful uh, for that and uh, um then again um carrying on from this point that um if we go on to this that uh the md muslim community that have the worldwide head of the md muslim community uh Mm -hmm. he once said uh, said, uh, on, on an occasion that freedom of religion and belief are core human rights that must be preserved and protected for everyone and everywhere Though we are living in an increasingly secularized world in which people are moving away from religion, many million of millions of people around the world continue to adhere to religious values. And it is essential that they are able to live their lives according to their beliefs and convictions. And um, again, um, if you see that um, on the name of um, freedom of expression, we can do this and this and that then um, at least uh, i think uh, freedom of religion comes un- under this very specific mm. category as well and this should be you know a point uh, where the higher ups or the authorities need to keep an eye on the on the society that
0: Daniel, what are some examples of of laws that have been put in place you know around the world um which basically you know the the put po- religious minorities at a disadvantage or, or are discri- uh, discriminatory uh,
1: again as we talked about uh, the mdm muslim community <coughs> and the, um, the blasphemy law in law in pakistan which has been criticized for targeting Religious minorities such as the Muslim community and Christians, Hmm. and uh, then the anti conversion laws in some Indian states, which you know kind of restricts or criminalized religious uh, conversion from one faith to another, often impacting um, religious uh, minorities so there's a lot going uh, here and there and again we can see that uh, the burqa ban in uh, in certain european countries yeah. uh, which prohibits the wearing of full face veils and then the religious uh, registration laws in some countries which you know kind of require um religious groups to register with the government uh, potentially leading to uh discrimination against smaller or less recognized religious minorities
0: so what is islam's understanding and teaching in regards to these kind of laws
1: uh first and foremost islam says that um um, um uh, you are uh, as brother um, um on one occasion the holy prophet so, may allah be peace and blessing upon him he once said um, that No one has any right, any superiority to claim over another. You are as brothers or men. Your God is one and your ancestor is one. And An Arab possesses no superiority over a non-Arab, nor does a non-Arab over an Arab. A white man is no way superior to a black man, nor for that matter Um, is a black man better than a white man. So the only uh, criterion that Allah the Almighty has said is that the most honored among you is is that uh, who is most righteous among you mm-hmm. uh, in the sight of God. And that's uh, the criterion which we need to look upon.
0: Indeed. Now, if you can uh, summarize, how has society and, and the general, you know, the wider world reacted and acted to help um, religious minorities? Um so the
1: um, the the mdm uh, all party um, parliamentary group in the uk has been uh, instrumental in raising awareness mm. so the foremost thing is to raise awareness so they are raising awareness about the persecution faced by the mdm muslim uh, muslims and advocating for their rights in the case of christian mi- minorities in pakistan international organizations and uh, Human rights groups have have condemned um, the discriminatory treatment and called for the protection of their rights. Um, additionally, uh, diplomatic efforts and uh, you know pressure from the international community um, have been exerted uh, to encourage governments to to kind of um, to address religious uh, discrimination and promote religious freedom.
0: We have um, a small audio clip in in, in this video. Hazar Mirza Ahmad, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, explains that there should be no compulsion in in religion. So let's let's listen to this audio clip.
4: The Holy Quran and the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, have made it categorically clear that there should be no form of compulsion in matters of religion. Every individual should have the right to, to choose whatever path he or she wishes to walk upon. Belief is and should always remain a matter of for one's heart and one's mind. At the same time, Islam teaches that irrespective of differences of uh, religion or belief, every citizen has a duty to remain peaceful and to ensure that he or she does not take any action that threatens the well-being of society.
0: So that was um, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Meza Musrur Ahmad, uh, explaining that how there is no compulsion in religion and that um, the the, the fundamental teachings of, of, of Islam um so that brings us to the end of um the first segment we'll 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 call it uh we'll, we'll call it a wrap over here and then we will head for a a short news break uh when we return from from the the quick break we'll be moving on to segment two which is ocean heat reaches hottest temperature ever recorded so dear listeners um after the break, do have a quick coffee or have your hot drink or whatever you need, and then um, we we'll, we'll, we'll continue with with, with, the, with the segment where we have, uh, um, we'll have our guest speaker and we'll have uh, Daniel explain uh, in, in depth the details of, yeah, hopefully. of of the matter. So here's the nine o'clock, eight o'clock news:
1: You are listening to the recording of a live show. please do not call or text as this is a recording, and lines are now closed.
0: Auzubillah minashaitanir rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. may peace and blessings of allah be upon you all welcome back to the breakfast show at the voice of islam radio um, before the the before the break we were discussing international day uh, commemorating the victims of acts of violence based on religion or belief and now in this segment we are going to be discussing ocean heat reaches hottest temperature ever recorded um, if you would like to call in the number is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or you can um, tweet us by our via uh, our Twitter handle, which is at of islam So the oceans have reached their hottest ever recorded temperature with dire implications for our planet. The average global ocean surface temperature broke the two thousand and sixteen record this week according to the eu 's climate change service. Uh, um, Copernicus It reached 20.96 degrees Much higher than the average For this time of year Oceans are important Climate regulators As they soak up heat And produce half the earth's oxygen um, Daniel Could you explain to the listeners uh, you know, What are some consequences Of the ocean increasing in temperature And you know what what kind of impact does this have on, on the regulation of, of, of the Earth's climate? What do we understand from this?
1: Um, A very uh, pertaining question, and um, certainly I would say. And uh, so what are the consequences? Uh, one of the major impacts uh, is the bleaching of coral reefs. Um, um, as well as I was, you know, um, studying about the coral reefs uh, on one occasion that uh, it says that Um, They are known as the rainforest of the sea. Um, Hmm. And um, despite covering, you know, they just cover 1% of the sea, just 1%. But if you look at uh, how much they provide the uh, essential habitat habitat of all marine life, uh, so it's 25%. Wow. So 1% coral reefs um, provide... Habitat for twenty-five percent of all mar- uh, all marine life, so that's well over one million species uh, that live in and depend upon coral reefs. Then, uh, um, so as I was saying, that one of the uh, major impacts is the bleaching of coral reefs, which can result in their death and loss mm. of biodiversity. And uh, warmer waters can uh, also affect marine species as they have to migrate to find suitable habitats. Although there are some marine life uh, which, you know, they will adapt uh, according to the uh, warmer waters, but not all the marine life. And then there are some animals like sharks can experience changing uh, changes in behavior as ocean temperatures rise. The increase in temperature uh, can affect their natural habitats and prey availability, leading to potential confusion and altered behavior. Um, Then again rising ocean temperatures can contribute to more intense and frequent uh, storms. As for the regulation of the Earth's climate, uh, the the ocean plays a very crucial role in in absorbing heat and carbon dioxide. But it can do uh, to a certain extent. Um, if uh, to an extent the water gets very hot, after after that uh, it won't absorb any heat and carbon dioxide, and it will result uh, the the global warming. And that's the that's the reason which you know which we are facing. Hmm. So uh, right now we have with us uh, our next guest, um, which is Professor Robert Marsh. Um, he's a professor of uh, oceanography and climate at the University of Southampton. Uh, he has been studying the oceans and climate since the late 1980s when climate change was a, a relatively new issue. Robert Marsh has extensive experience of observing and um, and modeling the oceans and climate. In current projects and collaborations, he applies knowledge of ocean state, for example temperature, uh, ocean currents and surface weather to pressing to um, pressing environmental challenges. He is also investigating links between the Arctic and our mid-latitudes, where some water's extremes may be attributed to rapid warming and sea ice decline. Um, Professor Robert, uh, welcome to the show. Good morning. Peace be on you. as alaikum Good morning
3: to you as well. Thank you for having me on the
1: show. Yeah, without further ado, so... Um, let's get on to the first question to you which is that what role the, does the ocean play uh, in in regards to regulating the planet's temperature
3: okay um, the, the key point is that water can absorb and hold onto a lot of heat uh, a lot more than can rocks soil vegetation and air combined and there's a lot of water in the ocean the sun's radiation is most strongly absorbed across the tropics and the subtropics of our planet, especially in the summertime. And this warmed water is carried around by ocean currents. And when these currents head forward, away from the equator, and the ocean warmth is gradually lost to the atmosphere above, this raises air temperatures at higher latitudes. Overall, the ocean helps to cool the tropics and to warm the poles. And the extent of this regulation varies from place to place but in many places the temperature is several tens of centigrade higher or lower than if the ocean was not moving the heat around at all and uh, beyond that primary role the, the oceans also actually take away um, some of the carbon dioxide in our atmosphere and, and that would obviously um, be, be affecting the, the rate at which carbon dioxide accumulates in the atmosphere and the rate of warming so in, in a warming world The oceans are are doing several different things at the same time, and that's really the the great role that they play in regulating uh, the planet's temperature.
0: What factors contribute to rising ocean temperatures, and how does it affect us?
3: The main reason for rising ocean temperatures is an imbalance in that very regulation that, that I just briefly outlined. So year on year, slightly more heat is being absorbed by the ocean than it's losing back the atmosphere Hmm. and beyond and that's a consequence of rising greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere within the bounds of small natural variations such as all changes in the sun um, the same amount of solar radiation or light is being absorbed at short wavelengths and then the the warmed ocean emits this energy as heat at longer wavelengths and that is subsequently absorbed at various heights in the atmosphere by molecules such as water vapor and carbon dioxide, which then re-emits the, the same heat both upwards and downwards, and the downward heat is absorbed back into the ocean. So in simple terms, the ocean is absorbing more heat than, than it was before. And this warming may be locally complicated by changes in the way that heat is moved around, both for the sideways and downwards. So the poleward currents then heat may be trapped in lower latitudes. So actually, the high latitudes may, in fact, actually cool. Um, If the heat is less easily mixed downwards, which we think may be happening, then more heat is trapped near the surface. So this is kind of redistributing the heat in a different way. And in the Arctic and around Antarctica, masses are further complicated by reductions of sea ice, which means that more heat is absorbed into the oceans there but the root cause of all of this is the enhanced greenhouse effect, which mm. we well understand. And how this affects us, well, the ocean and overlying atmosphere are intimately connected. In particular, the ocean sets up much of our weather, mm. which is sensitive to just small extra ocean warmth. And fundamentally, this extra warmth provides energy for more energetic weather, so more powerful winds and heavier rainfall. Again, things can be more complicated. as. Changing patterns of ocean warmth and also the patterns of weather, which can explain some of the more recent extreme events in our weather. And beyond the weather, the warmer oceans are impacting ocean coastal ecosystems, which of course impacts us as well.
0: Professor Marsh, you have extensive experience of of modelling the ocean and climate. How has technology um, aided in finding solutions to the issue of of, uh, rising ocean heat?
3: Well, when I went started out in the late 1980s computer models of the ocean and climate were much more limited than what we have today Mm. so computers also far smaller and slower than today and that limited the amount of what we call simulation that we needed to understand in particular warming oceans about the 1990s it became more routine to couple together computer models of the ocean and the atmosphere that form the basis of a climate model Meanwhile, computers were getting bigger and faster, allowing us to complete more and more ambitious climate simulations and specifically uh, the response to rising carbon dioxide concentrations. Meanwhile, an international community of ocean scientists and engineers were busy developing robust technology that needed to collect data from the vast ocean, in particular temperature. Satellites were providing maps of surface temperature since about the 1980s, but we needed to know what was happening well below the surface. Since around 2000, there's been a deployment of many thousands of what we call profiling floats, which allow us to map ocean warming in the upper one kilometre of the ocean, which is typically about four or 5,000 metres uh, deep. Mm. And that was filling up what was previously more fragmentary picture of that warming. Um, now over the last 30 years, our models have become increasingly realistic, confirming that ocean warming that we now observe is consistent with rising greenhouse gas concentrations. Along with new observing systems, we've got access to the vast amounts of data from from these various opportunities, and we now have the computing power to analyse those numbers very quickly. So we can monitor the warming in near real time, and that challenges us to better understand the most extreme warming that you've yet seen, which began to emerge earlier this year.
0: You were involved in, in research that looked at consequences of accelerating Arctic warming um, for the for the for the European climate. What is the connection between Arctic warming and European climate patterns?
3: So the Arctic warming is probably associated with, or even directly caused by, major declines in sea ice and consequently the warming ocean around the Arctic. The Arctic's warming maybe two to three times faster than lower latitudes. What that means is that temperature difference between our latitude and the Arctic is is reducing. So we're no longer uh, as, as kind of much warmer as we once were than the Arctic. Now this temperature difference or, or gradient supports a swift flow of air around the entire northern hemisphere. And sometimes people know that as the jet stream, which, which brings to Western Europe so much maritime weather. So kind of the Atlantic's influence on our on our weather. With a reduced temperature gradient, it's been suggested that our familiar Atlantic storm track uh, that afflicts um, sometimes quite uh, miserable weather on, on the sort of western parts of Europe becomes less predictable. Uh, so that would suggest that we have prospects for more extreme winter cold or more extreme summer heat. But the story is often clear as there are many details uh, in these new climates. That we've been experiencing. So, for example, the summers of uh, in the UK of 2022 and 2023 so different: uh, a hot, dry summer last year and a cool, wet summer this year. Provide a good example of how unpredictable and volatile our climate is becoming, and maybe that is related to the um, the fast-changing Arctic.
0: Professor, the the natural world, you know, um, I w- we believe is is a manifestation of God's divine design, um, and us as human beings, uh, we're here in, in 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 part of this world. It's our duty as well to to look after our world. Um, so, in that regard, what can we do as as individuals to contribute to you know reducing ocean heat and the impact of of climate change?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, beyond individual actions to reduce our individual carbon footprint, such as through choices around households, uh, transport, and diet. Individuals may choose I think educational or career options that can make a positive difference. And that um, may be through impacts on policy, culture, or technology uh, aligned with your, your belief system, um, your values. So these impacts may be transformative. I think young people in particular have very exciting opportunities to make a big difference through their lives by making particular choices around higher education and early career. So starting with the individual, I think that the key to stabilizing our climate and our ecosystems is innovative thinking that brings together um, new technology and shifts our attitudes to nature, as you've said.
1: Um, professor, you know that uh, um, glaciers are melting at uh, a very rapid pace. So, my question is regarding the glaciers: that uh, uh, what's the role of uh, glaciers in maintaining the temperature of the oceans?
3: Uh, oh, well, that's a really uh, in-depth kind of question, in a sense because uh, we have many glaciers on on the planet. We have. Um, that the major ice sheets of Greenland and Antarctica, mm-hmm. uh, which feed um, ice into the ocean uh, in the form of uh, meltwaters or icebergs, and then we have glaciers in the in the high mountains um, of North America and South America and Europe and Asia, the Himalayas. Um, all of these glaciers, we think um, through our careful observations, are losing um some of their kind of mass to the to the ocean ultimately mm-hmm. so so the answer to your question is that what what's going on is that there's a, a sort of redistribution of water as well as of heat around our planet and so much of the frozen water is now being lost to the ocean which is getting a little bit fresher because as you as you know the ocean is a, is a place of, of salinity uh, a salty, body of water, which mm. is affected by this this fresh layer that, that arrives by the coast. And um, we're not very sure about the long-term possibilities, but one, one idea is that this can somehow arrest the ocean currents, which is so important for the redistribution of heat. So in an indirect way, the glaciers, by melting away and freshening the ocean, mm. in certain places can... Are, um bringing about some some changes to, to the to the patterns of of heating which we're currently observing. So it could be that in the future we see some some cooler conditions around the North Atlantic, where a lot of ice has melted into the into the ocean. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Professor, I know that uh, my uh, my colleague there. I have asked you that uh, what can we uh, contribute as individuals. But um, my question is regarding that exactly where we are lacking in terms of uh, uh, contributing as a nation. Uh, uh, what do you think, what's your opinion on this?
3: Oh, that's a that's a tough question. Um, you mean where the UK is lacking, um, where it might better be? Um, I guess along with all the other nations um, that, that have the privilege of being able to, develop quickly um, in, in a way which brings new technologies for the, to the marketplace. Um, we can decarbonize quicker, we, we can persuade the population at large to make difficult changes in lifestyles. Um, mm-hmm. That's political. Um, I think our, our education system is, is in in good shape in terms of uh, helping young people to understand not just the situation, but the future, mm. uh, gives them the opportunity to make decisions about their lives, um, about the subjects they want to study, about the careers they want to pursue. So whether, whether we can do better in this direction is maybe for others to, mm. to argue, but um, I, I work in the university and I think we, we're trying hard to give young people opportunities to, make their choice uh, to, to follow a career path, which will make a big difference to the world.
1: Um, Professor, you have a very um, uh, extensive experience in your field. Um, where do you see our future and uh, your experience, uh, where we are heading towards? Um...
3: Yeah, my, my so if I, if I look back 30 years or so, I've already expected warming actually in some respects than we now see although it's still quite startling the recent ocean warming of this year Mm -hmm. I think that um, there has been some genuine effort on the part of the international community um, to kind of catch up with this huge challenge Um, clearly we're not going fast enough so what will happen in the future is that the climate will continue to Um, warm because we are committed to several degrees potentially of warming due to the fact that the ocean takes many decades to kind of catch up with the imbalance in our atmosphere that we've caused through adding so much carbon dioxide so that means that we have to be ready to adapt to maybe a world that is two and a half or three centigrade warmer than today Mm. the future though is always surprising Because humans are capable of amazing discovery and technology, so if we look back 150 years, we would not have dreamed of the world that we live that we find today. So let's hope that the future will be um, a pleasant surprise compared to what we currently look forward to seeing, and um, that we will find that, that that there are new technologies that actually draw down the. Dangerous levels of greenhouse gas that we currently have in the atmosphere. So it could be that we see some remarkable changes uh, in the next 50 to 100 years uh, through technologies that mm. transform our power supply and which actively kind of remediate our atmospheric um, composition. Professor. The future.
0: Perfect, perfect, brilliant. Professor Robert Marsh, it was a delight having you here at the Voice of Islam Radio this morning. Um, thank you for, for, for being with us. And, you know, may uh, Allah Almighty, God Almighty help you in all your research uh, to make uh, our world a better place and helping the ocean as well. Thank you very much.
3: I truly appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Good morning
0: to you. Bye-bye. So that was Robert Marsh, uh, a professor of uh, oceanography and climate at the University of Southampton. He has been studying the oceans and climate since the late 1980s, when climate change was a relatively new issue. Robert Marsh has extensive experience of observing and modeling the oceans and climate. In current projects and collaborations, he applies knowledge of, of ocean state, uh, ocean currents and surface weather to pressing environmental challenges. He is also investigating links between the Arctic and our mid-latitudes. Where some weather extremes may be attributed to rapid warming and sea ice decline, so Daniel moving forward, you know the the Holy Quran repeatedly invites us to to observe and and reflect upon the 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 natural world as a means of of deepening our connection with with Allah with God the Almighty. Um you know Allah the Almighty he says in chapter twenty nine verse uh, twenty one um, say travel in the earth and see how he originated the creation then will Allah create the latter creation surely Allah has power over all things so by acknowledging the the extraordinary forces at play within our our oceans we we reaffirm our our connection with the Creator and recognize his presence. In every aspect of of existence, you know, um, Islam places great emphasis on on responsible stewardship of the earth and its and its resources. That brings in the concept of of uh, Khalifa, Caliphate, stewardship, uh, which is ingrained in Islamic teachings. Um, and And the Holy Quran says, "And it is He who made you uh, successors of others on the earth." So. As Muslims, as as human beings, as individuals, it's our 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 birth duty to to look after Allah's creation and to help help it instead of making it worse for the generations to come. Right? Yeah, certainly. <coughs> and uh, uh, the Holy Prophet
1: uh, may peace and blessings be upon him has encouraged the restoration of wastelands, saying that he who revives a dead land will be rewarded. And when any creature eats of it, this will be counted as an act of charity for him. A great blessing for such a human being.
0: That, this, that kind of like relates back to what the Quran says when we mentioned in the first segment, that if you save, you mentioned it then, yeah. that if you save, saving of one life is like saving the whole of humanity, and saving uh, and 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 you uh, know killing one life is like killing the whole of humanity. So that shows that how Islam teaches us in every, every aspect to look after the creation of Allah, right? Certainly, yeah. And um, furthermore,
1: um, the principles of justice and compassion highlights our responsibility towards the um, planet and its inhabitants. Um, uh, there is one hadith, uh, the saying of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, um, that the world is, is sweet and green, and verily, Allah is going to install you as vicegerents in it in order to see how you act. So, our actions in, uh, in preserving the oceans and uh, addressing climate change challenges reflect our commitment to these uh, fundamental principles. And lastly, uh, we will wrap up with this um, this segment uh, with the saying of the Holy Prophet that. He said, don't waste water even if, you, uh, if, even if you were by a running river. And with this, we will...
0: We have um, a, a, a quick clip which yeah, we, sure, w- we need not? to play <laughs> before we end this. And, and with that clip, we will come to the end of, of the segment. The clip is, um, Hazan Mizar uh, Mussoor the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, answers to a question on how to tackle climate change.
4: You see, this climate change problem is the issue everywhere all across the world. And especially in the third world countries where the population is increasing in numbers without any proportion. Just to accommodate this population, you are increasing your residential areas. And because of increasing the residential areas, you are cutting the forest. So this deforestation is also causing climate change. So whenever you cut any tree, you should plant two trees to replace that tree. And whenever your population is increasing, you should also increase in that area where there is already some clear area, not that you do deforestation. And apart from that, fuel consumption should also be reduced. Now we have become so lazy that if we want to go from one place to the other place and the distance is only 100 yards or 200 yards, instead of walking to the place we shall take our motorbike or the car to go to that place. Right? And in this way also you are polluting the atmosphere. And there are so many other factors which are causing pollution and climate change. Although we cannot say that Because of the fear of uh, climate change, we should not produce children or do family planning. No, but at the same time, we should plan in such a way that the forest should not be cut without any proportion. If you cut one tree, you plant two trees, start new developments, residential developments in those areas which are near to the town and the, the big villages so that The forests are not disturbed and at the same time use less such type of vehicles which are being run by fuels and making pollution in the atmosphere. And apart from that, if God wishes that he has to reduce the population of this world, then the law of nature will also work. So, if you are using motorbike, don't use it too much. If you are using car, don't use it too much. Eh? It would be better if you walk even up to one mile distance. Doesn't matter. Right? And also, Khudamul Emdiya and and all should start a scheme for the plantation of the trees in the forests and in different areas. Right? And in Indonesia also, because of the climate change, the level of the sea is increasing and Jakarta is now sinking there are quite a number of places where your buildings even are sinking and it is said that after some time after a few years you would not be able to see Jakarta on the face of the earth eh? right? it is not only because Indonesian people are not vigilant with regards to take my for the betterment of the climate you see it's a global issue so in the north pole south pole everywhere this is happening we can also pray and also try our best to reduce this climate change
1: so that was his holiness hazrat uh, mirza ahmed who was uh, very beautifully was very beautifully explained and uh, uh perform as and has a very profound meaning in it Uh, Now we will move on to our next and last segment uh, of today's show, uh, which is about World Humanitarian Day. And the gist of the story is that the purpose of the World Humanitarian Day is to raise awareness of the struggles of civilians around the world who have become caught up in the conflicts and also honor and raise um we support for those humanitarian workers who risk their lives and sometimes died for humanitarian causes. Over 100 million people throughout the world are currently in crisis, either through war or natural disasters, and are in need of humanitarian aid with countries such as Afghanistan and Yemen, facing the worst humanitarian crisis in many decades. Um, so, um, hopefully, in this segment, we will discuss many other points in this regard, which like, which are like, um, how many countries you know who are currently in the midst of a humanitarian crisis in terms of uh, um, a natural disaster or war, and um, uh, we'll talk about the uh, Humanity First, uh, what Humanity First is doing in regards to tackling. Uh, this issue and um, just to let the listeners uh, know that what is Humanity uh, humanity First? So Humanity First is the uh, multi-sector NGO providing disaster relief and vital supplies to uh, vulnerable communities in over 50 countries and many more and also we will have uh, our experts who will give the expertise, uh, share the expertise in regards to this, and moreover, uh, before um, getting more into the details of uh, this topic, uh, I would encourage our listeners to contact. They can contact us um, uh, via our number, which is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, or by tweeting us at Voice UK. And right now, we have with us our uh next guest um for this segment which is dr uh, rodrigo mina fullem uh Fluman. and um uh dr uh, rodrigo uh, is an assistant professor of disasters and humanitarian studies at the institute of social studies um uh the netherlands his academic focus lies at the intersection of humanitarian action and disaster risk reduction and responses with other crises such as um, violent conflict, climate change and migration. Dr. Mina is uh, also board member of the International Humanitarian Studies um, uh, Humanitarian Studies Association and Deputy Director of the Humanitarian Studies Center. Uh, Prior to his uh, current Uh, Position Dr. Mina accumulated extensive uh, field experience working with NGOs, the UN ministers, ministries, and as a consultant and researcher in disaster and conflict affected areas such as Afghanistan, Bangladesh, uh, Chile, Colombia, Sierra Leone, South Sudan, and Yemen. Uh, Dr. Mina, welcome to the show. Good morning. Peace be on you.
5: Good morning. I'm thank you for having me in the
1: show. Thank you very much for being on the show, uh, Doctor. It is um, you know apparent that war and conflict uh, causes an immense amount of human suffering. However, climate uh, climate change, you know, it has also has an impact on the death uh, toll. So, how has climate impacted the death uh, toll in countries affected by the armed conflict? and could you give an example of where this is evident
5: um yes certainly well first it's important to understand that climate change can impact the death toll Mm -hmm. but not in a direct way indirectly and how by creating conditions for disasters or affecting people's livelihoods Um, first i think important i think we have been talking in the show before about the climate change It's all about modifying or modifying the intensity and frequency of climatic events. But not any climate event that is more intense needs to be hazardous or create a disaster for people. To affect people, people need to be vulnerable to them. And this is key. Vulnerability is key to understand how climate change might create disasters and how disasters might affect people. So if I can explain... Um, briefly this with an example in the uk or in the netherlands for example we have a lot of water a lot of rainfall and this same amount of water not always creates floods however the same amount of water in another country that is not prepared for it might create floods so it's not the amount of water that creates a flood it's how the countries are prepared for it the same happened for example with earthquakes i am originally from chile a Mm -hmm. country we have really a lot of earthquakes In Chile, an earthquake of 7.0, nothing happens. The country is prepared for it. Buildings are built for it. But the same earthquake of 7 in another country, it will be a complete disaster. So it's not the natural phenomenon that creates a disastrous condition. It's how we as a society are prepared for it. How people are vulnerable or not to a lot of water, lack of water and drought, earthquakes and so. And that's why, actually, in our field, we say that disasters are never natural, or not, or never, but most of the time are not natural. They are not natural disasters. Disasters always based on social political decisions. So coming back to your question, Mm
2: -hmm.
5: in places affected by conflict and war, what happened? War and conflict, violent conflict, create and increases people's vulnerability. So you have places where people now is much more vulnerable. So to any extreme event, it's it's affecting them much more than normally because it's also affecting the capacity of people to respond, the coping mechanisms, even there are less hospital running. So events that in the past maybe people were able to prepare better for it or to respond to it, now they cannot do it. So I can give you an example from South Sudan, for example, if that Mm -hmm, might light more. Um, I remember when I was in the northern part of the country and Mm -hmm. there was a community that lived in an area that actually was declared back in the days under farming conditions. And talking with them and staying with them for a while, they told me that they always have been facing droughts. They have seasonal droughts. And sometimes are more intense and less intense. But they know how to cope with it. They can sell the surplus on the market. They can, you know, save some seeds. However, since the war is happening in South Sudan, the civil war, in the past what happened? all the coping mechanisms that they had were not available anymore. Going to the market now, it's really dangerous. Uh, a lot of armed groups took the young boys in the, in the villages. They also took the uh, tools that they were using. They even steal the seeds. So drought, that was something difficult for them, but they were n- used to, and they know how to deal with it. Now, because of the conflict, it's not possible to deal with it.
2: Mm-hmm. So drought
5: is not something that is normal. it's become a disaster. So that's how conflict and war can create and exacerbate people's vulnerability and unfortunately many
1: times also increasing death tolls. Mm, certainly. And Doctor, in some of your uh, publications uh, you spoke about uh, disaster risk reduction program. Can you explain for our listeners that how does it help in countries vulnerable to disasters?
5: Definitely. Well. Disaster risk reduction, or DRR, as maybe people might hear or see in mm. the news somewhere, are all the plans and actions aiming to reduce the chances of a disaster from happening, but also to minimize the impact in case that they happen. So in other words, is preparing ahead of time mm. to stay safe and to prevent disaster from happening, like earthquakes, floods, storms, and others. For example, uh, it can be building stronger houses, houses that can withstand an earthquake, creating evacuation plans, but also teaching people how to stay safe in case of a disaster. But also in line to what we were talking before about vulnerability, it's also about reducing people's vulnerability in general. Mm. So it's a really comprehensive approach, uh, but it even includes to learn from prior disasters to know how to be prepared better for future ones, or ideally even to reduce the risk that they even happen. So and this is essential in places on the high level of conflict that you were mentioning, because people is already suffering a lot. So we can reduce the risk of other disasters from happening. We are decreasing a lot the the impact of them. Actually, as another example, now for example from Afghanistan hmm. is quite interesting. In 2018,
2: hmm.
5: if you check the news about Afghanistan, everything was about the conflict and the Taliban with the former international recognized government. However, when I was in the country, I was shocked that the vast majority, a big number, around 60, 70% of people receiving humanitarian aid, hmm. they were not receiving humanitarian aid because they were affected by the conflict. Hmm. They were receiving humanitarian aid because they were affected by disasters, by flash floods, storms, drought, and even earthquakes. So it's really interesting to see that sometimes people only focus on the conflict, but disasters can also play a strong role in people suffering in these scenarios.
1: Yeah, certainly. And, uh, Doctor, um, yeah, many warned on uh, countries require international aid and support, whether it be, uh, it be monetary or basic care uh, packages or resources. So, the question is how do different organizations uh, decide where resources should be deployed, and um, what factors affect this deployment? Well, that's a tough
5: one because <laughs> the main problem that we have at hand. Is that we don't have enough resources in place. I mean, in the planet we have, but they're not being distributed to alleviate the suffering. Just to give you a um, quick example, at a glance, for this year, 2023, we are estimating that we have 340 million people in needs of extreme humanitarian aid. So 340 people need humanitarian assistance
1: That's to right. live every
5: day. That's a lot. However, the current resources, that governments and others are donating, the amount of money that we have is only allowing us to reach around 200, 230 million people. Mm -hmm. So we have more than 100 million people in the planet that requires humanitarian assistance to survive or at least to have a decent quality of minimum level of livelihood, and we are not reaching them. So under this scenario where we are constrained with resources, uh, you're asking about how organizations decide First, they're trying to see which are the most urgent Mm -hmm. needs, which are the most urgent cases. It can be from disasters, conflict, political instability. Mm
2: -hmm. The second
5: component to develop what they call the targeting is to assess whether it's safe or not to reach people in need. Sometimes you have people highly affected, you would like to help them, Mm -hmm. but it's also really dangerous for humanitarian actors, either international or local ones. It's not always international aid. Actually, most of humanitarian actors in the planet are from the same places affected. Uh, but sometimes it's really dangerous to go to these places to accept people. And mm-hmm. then it comes to what we were saying. Logistics, money, supplies also play a role. So you need to bring all these things together to decide uh, where will you provide assistance
6: mm-hmm. or
5: not. And on top of that, we cannot forget, and um, it's also a reality of this planet, geopolitics. So sometimes we don't go to the places that are affected the most one are the places where donors or geopolitics decided that we need to go for there is also instrumentalization and use of humanitarian action for reasons that are not necessarily humanitarian in itself
1: and lastly doctor uh, what do you think we could do as individuals to to help these victims
5: well it's a big difficult one <laughs> um depends on where you are because sometimes you are in places of effect. i mean mm. we are saying we have millions of people affecting the planet so a lot of people are living in these places or they have families or they have you know, a family or they left or they fled places affected by conflict. Um, something that we saw, for example, in the war with Ukraine or other places that people tend to collect clothes and money to send it, but generally that is not recommended. So what we can do is we have the individual action. So first, I think it's important on a level of societal level, mm. is how we reduce conflict in our daily, everyday life how we reduce the understanding that disasters are natural. It's also important to understand that these are based on social political decisions.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: But when when you really want to support actions in these faraway places, maybe for us, or not that far away, uh, the best thing to do now is to support organizations doing it. But it's also political mobilization, as I said before, uh, and to be aware that disasters and conflicts happen often in these places, but they should not happen. Mm-hmm. and for example, the understanding that disasters are not natural. so when you see that oh there is a big disaster affecting people, we maybe need to keep in mind well someone decided or someone is deciding that other people is vulnerable and those are political decisions and so on.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Rodrigo Mina. it's a uh, delight to have you on the show and uh, thank you very much for being on the show.
5: Thanks so much for having me. Have a good day.
1: Thank you very much. Um so that was Dr. Uh, Rodrigo Mina, uh, who's an um assistant professor of disasters and humanitarian studies at the Institute of Social Studies, the Netherlands. His academic focus lies at the intersection of humanitarian action and disaster risk reduction uh, with other crises. <coughs> Uh, right now, we have with us our next guest, Yusuf Aftab, um, he, um, he is serving as the director of Humanity First UK, overseeing fundraising and disaster relief. Uh, Yusuf Aftab, welcome to the show, Asalaamu Alaikum and good morning. Uh, Wa
2: Alaikum
6: Asalaam and good morning to yourselves.
1: Zahkallah. And so without further ado, uh, the first question to you is that uh, Humanity First is often at the forefront of providing aid to countries that have been hit with natural disasters or war. So this is apparent uh, that during the Turkey-Syrian earthquakes as well as the Ukraine-Russian war, can you talk about what aid uh, Humanity First has provided while in these countries?
6: Yeah, so maybe um, I'll start off uh, for the benefit of uh, your listeners that don't know about Humanity First. So yeah, sure. j- just a quick little update. So Humanity First is an an international NGO like many other uh, NGOs mm. um, in-, in comparison to just a uh, uh, medicine Son- uh, uh, frontier, which is called MSF. Then you've got uh, um, agencies within the UN and you've got... Um, Red Cross and uh, Save the Children and so forth. I think the d- differentiation between all of these agencies um, and NGOs is the beauty of uh, uh, humanity first is, number one, it's part of the um, Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, mm-hmm. but r- regardless of that, in terms of the principles that it follows, which are based on the International Charter of the Red Cross and uh, the um, United Nations is to provide, um, based on neutrality, impartiality, um, help and support to people regardless of colour, creed, religion, faith, um, uh, gender, etc. So that's that's an important uh, distinction to to understand.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: You know, in, in terms of in terms of what we do. So Humanity First is across. It started in 1995 it's across it's registered in 63 countries and we predominantly um, provide specialities in a disaster relief mm-hmm. um, which which we'll t- touch upon at the moment in education in terms of development um, water for life uh, food security um, and then rehabilitation support with people uh, refugees that are being displaced etc and, and uh, and then women's health um, through multitude of uh, other work that's done. So that's, and then like gift of sight and orphan care and these types of things. You can always go onto the website, which is uh, hfuk.org, and you'll be able to see all the fantastic work that's done. Um, and then just one more um, sort of unique um, benefit of Humanity First is that a lot of, um, a large amount, I would say, um, over 90% uh, um, of its volunteer base, our um, volunteers they, we um, they don't get paid, and, and therefore the beauty is that 93 mm-hmm. percent you can say of the money that comes from the donors um, goes directly to the beneficiaries, whereas with other agencies and charities, about 60 to 70 percent of their cost goes towards administra- administrative costs. So therefore, um, our unique selling point is this maximum utility with uh, minimum resource which uh has a to see the fifth as uh, outlined. So that's that's just a quick markdown. I'll come to your question now yeah. that you've asked in terms of um, Syria and Turkey. Unfortunately um, there was an in- impact because of the recent earthquake that took place which was really devastating um, and in, in Turkey it happened uh, after a, a long period of time where they've had a previous one, but um, this impacted, you could say, you know, over a range of uh, a hundred kilometers, uh, maybe up to 180. um, The Richter sale was um, uh, greater than eight. So in terms of depth uh, and the the shallowness that it went to really impacted cities and humanity first uh, teams. So that's Mm. across the UK, Germany, Um, The U.S. as well, um, Canada, were able to provide uh, disaster relief support. And we were able to do this um, up to a period of, um, in in Turkey in particular, Mm. um, for about three months where there were um, uh, provisions of food that were being provided and medical care. And then we also were able to assist and, and assess um, the damage that was created in Syria as well and then there's some long-term projects that have come out of there mm-hmm. in terms of education, orphan care and, and um, uh, other medical support that's been uh, provided and rehousing of people that have been displaced to provide them uh, shelters working in in collaboration with um, uh, another NGO um, internationally renowned for making these fabricated units uh, mm-hmm. From Germany, so so, you know, in terms of man hours and impact, you know, we've had thousands of man hours. Uh, we were able to raise uh, uh, a few million uh, dollars um, in terms of uh, financial support. We're very grateful and thankful to our donor bases across the world, mm-hmm. and then we've been able to provide this support, like I said, to run a basic kitchen uh, there for at least, you know, fifteen to 20,000 people that you're feeding every single day. And our German teams did that. It costs a lot of money to be able to uh, provide those provisions. And like I said, we're very grateful in terms of uh, the support donors being able to give. Um, so that's a very, very high level. I can go into detail if you want yeah. in terms of the things that have happened and the impact, but I just thought I'd give you an outline.
1: So uh, when visiting countries that, you know, that have been affected by war or natural disasters, um uh, how have these experiences affected you and uh, what have you taken away from such from being in such conditions
6: yeah so look you know for every every individual it's different every team it's different and um and our makeup of our teams you know includes um people that have faith and of no faith and and from very different backgrounds that go on help and support and it has a very profound effect uh, not on an individual basis but uh on um, a collective basis as well. So personally, to me, you know, I, I'm a, a member of the Ahmadi Muslim community. My faith is Islam, and, and my mm-hmm. my religion itself teaches me that uh, to fulfill the rights of God, I have to fulfill the rights of money. So as simple as that. So the impact that that has,
3: mm-hmm.
6: and with the guidance and instructions that His Holiness, as Amirzada has stated to us, is that, you know. And and the fundamentals of Islam, actually, the Holy Prophet, that we we help regardless of anything. So, when I've been out to, I've been fortunate enough, to be honest, uh, to go out to um, multiple disasters. And it is difficult, you know, psychologically, mentally, physically, it's it's very impactful. And when you go out there, you you feel that um, what is the best thing that you can do in a situation that is quite dire there. And it makes you. One, appreciate life, but it also makes you appreciate that you need to be able to give something back to the community and support. And, and you know, you, you have to be empathetic, um, but in a way that is respectful to the surrounding and the people and the cultures that are there because, you know, be, these people can be proud people. It can be a difficult situation for them as well, and you have to try and do your best to be able to, support in in the right manner in terms of whatever you can do so i think that has a humbling experience
3: mm-hmm. on
6: an individual and then you try to make changes in life that you know you can understand um you know that we have a lot of the luxuries in life here but when when people go through a difficult time it just makes you have a realization you know that um how you need to sort of uh, Live your life and behave, and, and uh, because you know, I've experienced. But whilst I'll give you one incident which might be beneficial for your listeners, uh, yep. which was in in regards to Turkey. I was um, I was in one of the remote places. Um, when I was out there, there was a third earthquake, which many people may not know of, um, and it was also on the news. And mm-hmm. we were in the hotel at that time um, on on the seventh floor. And the earthquake happened, um, and we didn't know that you know it, it was another earthquake happening, and with the aftershocks, and that really makes you realise you know the devastation an earthquake can cause, and, and then you reflect you know a couple of weeks before the earthquake was even stronger than this, and it literally ripped buildings, uh, infrastructure, roads, and so forth. And I was in a remote part where where in uh, uh, the village where uh, you know we were in uh, Gaziantep and so forth, and then we went out to this camping site to see and help mm-hmm. and support people that had relocated. I met the security guard there, and he was showing me uh, on CCTV that he had captured mm-hmm. the two earthquakes that had happened at that time. And, and the first one lasted about forty, just over forty seconds, and the destruction it created. That individual had lost thirteen members of his family
3: mm-hmm. from
6: generations. and and he was the only surviving member left. Now imagine the toll and the mental uh, experience that this person is going to have psychologically for the rest of his life. And another individual that lost 40 people of their family. So there were so so many stories like this. So what I'm saying is Mm -hmm. it's very, very difficult, very difficult to comprehend and, and... Time will only tell what will happen later with these individuals. Certainly it is very difficult
1: for. Thank you yeah. very much for being on the show. It's a delight to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Assalamualaikum. No problem at all. Oh, okay. So that was Yusuf Aftab serving as the director of Humanity First UK. Um, dear listeners, we are heading towards the end of our show, and I would like to thank our producer Isha Ahmed, our researchers, Isha Barira, Reba, and Nuska. And lastly, our technician, um, our tech team Zishan, and uh, to my uh, co-host uh, Mubar Zamini. So, uh, for today's uh, tomorrow's show, um, the topics will be the need for Britain uh, to harness science and engineering for growth, and the second topic will be August World War Week. Uh, till then, Alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessing Allah be upon you all.